accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing DS9 coverage. We're up to episode 2 of season 2. Season 2, episode 2, whichever way you want to talk about it. It's called The Circle. It aired back on October 3rd, 1993. It was written by Peter Allen Fields, directed by Corey Allen. In this episode, Cisco and Odo work to reveal the real force behind The Circle's coup on Bajor. Joined by Clay. Clay, how are you? Good. I would like to change what I said from last episode. I, I would still like to see a spinoff called uh, Undercover O'Brien, but I want to change that to Undercover, Undercover O'Brien and Deputy Quark. <laughs> I know. We got, we got a huge advancement in the, the Quark characterization here, I suppose, where he becomes a deputy. Everyone wants to be a deputy. It's like the number he one becomes, thing. He becomes a deputy so they don't have to explain how they get certain information <laughs> in the episode. <laughs> It's a very good workaround, I think. Everything makes sense to me. We're going to be talking about The Circle. It's part two of the Bajor coup storyline. Uh, we get a little bit more information about the Bajoran politics. We get reintroduced to Vedic uh, Burrell. It's not Burrell. How do you say his name? Burrell. Ah, what the hell? I'll figure it out. By the I was we... calling him Vedic Cosby. Vedic Cosby. Why, why Cosby? Because he totally Cosby's Kira later in the episode oh, okay. with that glowy, glowy prophet thing. I have some stuff to say about that stuff later. But. We will be getting into it. I'm going to uh, play an audio clip. Then me and Clay are going to come back and we're going to break down the circle. Sorry, allegedly Vedic Cosby. So, you're involved with the circle. I am the circle, Major. Now I understand why you wanted to ship Lee Nihilus off to the station. The last thing I need right now is a great war hero capturing the devotion of the Bajoran people. How can you betray your own government? Major, I don't have to tell you. I've heard your opinion of this government. Government. They can't even agree it is a government, so they call it provisional. It's just another word for powerless. I won't allow the Bajoran people to be powerless anymore. We have been doormats to the Cardassians and now the Federation. Any great power that happens by, we will not be that again. We are a people who brought art and architecture to countless planets. We don't deserve to be victims. If you want to change the government, Minister Jaro, you vote to change it. You don't sneak up from behind it with a dagger. We'll discuss politics at another time. I need to know, please, what the Federation will do once our objective becomes clear. All right, Clay. So we're here to talk about The Circle, which is part two of this three-episode arc, um, which is unique for us. We've never covered the middle part of a three-parter episode. And uh, this one gets a little bit more into the Bajoran stuff after Lee Nollis has come back and uh, he's assumed his mantle as the first officer of the station. He gets a shiny new uniform. Kira gets kicked back to Bajor. Cisco's working desperately to get her back on the ship, or back on the station. And in the background, he's got to deal with all the machinations of the political uprising and political stuff that's going on between the Vedics, the military, and the Circle down on Bajor. And they might be being supplied by some uh, nefarious enemies that they are unaware of. So there's actually a lot going on in this episode. Now that I'm trying to sort of list off everything that went on. It strikes me as a episode that needed to happen, but at the same time didn't, doesn't really enthrall me. It kind of reminds me of the middle Star Wars prequel movie, yeah. um, 
you know, it's it's not that there's nothing. It's not that it's that terrible, but it's a it's an episode that isn't particularly exciting. I think it's almost the first 70, 80 percent are not particularly very exciting. And the last little act is pretty good. Um, but then there is a lot going on in the background of it. So what do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think this episode might be indicative of a problem I'm going to have with this show moving forward if this stuff keeps coming back. Because between this and Emissary, uh, this has been the most uh, spiritualism of Bajor stuff that I've I've been introduced to, and I do not care for it at all. Okay. How come? Um, I just think it's boring as hell. And the – anytime some (laughs) – maybe it's just – watching so much stuff at this point but anytime someone straight faced starts talking about prophecies and shit i just unless it's related to buffy the vampire slayer i don't care sure like it's just it's it's just dialogue that i, I can't i can't relate to it yeah you know i don't fi- i don't find uh uh frank langella and nurse ratchet talking about the prophecy coming through very interesting like so that the scene with those two i was watching it i was thinking man I just don't like this stuff. I don't like the the stuff with the orb and the weird dreams and shit. But the stuff with Langella and Nurse Ratchet, um, I was thinking like, well, this is basically what Game of Thrones does. I mean, it had a very Game of Thronesy kind of feel to it because they're did. talking about politics and you know, uh, ascending to the the place of Kai or whatever. You, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Yeah, but like, I just just the way they were saying it and like. The, the way the 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 um, mythology that it was couched in, I just didn't. I just find it really boring. So uh, the rest of it, the rest of the stuff, I found really interesting. Like the rest of the stuff involving the Cardassians and the actual uh, rebellion and stuff. But just you know, the stuff that scene with those two and the stuff with Kira and uh, you know what's his name, the other. The Bur- other guy. I think it's about Bar- Bar- Baril, 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 something yeah. like that. I, I mispronounced his name. I can't remember. I hated that stuff. That guy. I don't like that guy at all. I I thought he was terrible. He is. He's awful. Um. He he basically has the charisma of wet cardboard for some reason. Like they. <laughs> I know they're trying to make him played off as the sort of almost the Vulcany coolness of this mm-hmm. Bajoran sect against uh, Wind sort of. Um, plotting uh, behind the scenes sort of backstabby nature he is not a good either the actor's not good or this performance is not very good he's not mm-hmm. there's no reason to think that he would be any kind of enticement for Kira on any level yeah. and I you know I understand that this aspect the spiritual aspect is meant to be a, a very large part of the Bajoran people but I don't know I just I just don't really care so I, don't I care for I, it. I'm, I'm interested. We'll break it down. I'll start it off by saying that the series doesn't really focus on this. So mm-hmm. it's not something that takes up a huge amount of running time for the rest of the uh, se- uh, the seasons and the series and everything. It's always present in the background because of how important it is to the Bajorans. Um, the profits are obviously important. The, the wormhole is important. But I mm-hmm. wouldn't say that this sort of political stuff will continue on for very long. Um, it'll always kind of be there in the background, but it's not something that really consumes sort of the runtime. 
I guess it's not the political stuff that bothers. It's just the the I think the profit stuff bothers me more than anything else. Like so, I guess I don't know. Maybe because I'll disagree I was thinking, with you about the profits. So yeah, if you want, let's just stick to the the actual profits and like the aliens of the profits of the wormhole and everything. So how, how come you don't mm-hmm. like them? Or what, uh, what's, what do you think the issue is? I guess with when you when you're talking about the profits, I, I'm are you talking specific about the the Vedics and all those people? No, I when I when I speak of so this might be a, something to break apart. When I speak of the profits, I'm speaking of the wormhole aliens that they are talking about. Oh, I guess I don't really have a, a, a I'm not really familiar with that stuff that much. I, okay. It's just more the 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 churchiness is the sure. is the part, and it's not I'm I'm not opposed to that as a concept. It's just I don't find it interesting in the story i find it like, i find their religion to be frustratingly vague in a lot of ways yeah i think that's part of it too because when yeah when you start tossing around vague words like prophets and all blah 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 that's i feel like it's a it's just gets you know yeah uh, uh frustratingly vague is a good way to put it um and i don't know if it well you know i was thinking about it in in game of thrones terms and they do they bring in religious stuff into game of thrones which doesn't bother me because I don't know if it's because it's played so cynically in that show. Yes, it's very <laughs> because cynical. It's, yeah. it's very cynical. Um, but I don't know. I just well, I, I, feel don't, like I don't the like the I don't stuff. like the yeah. Go sorry, ahead. Sorry, I didn't. I just I don't like the look of the planet. This planet's boring. <laughs> yeah. the, their costumes are boring. I don't know. It's just I I'm not a fan. Yeah, I think that the you know the Game of Thrones religious stuff is it's a small so it's always. Confined to sort of a couple characters. It's not like it's a overarching theme of everybody who's on the cast is involved with it in some way. They all mm-hmm. they all have their hand in it, but it's not really a focus. The the Bajoran stuff is very vague because you never really get a sense of what their religion is about. So it's hard to yeah. sort of it's hard to pin any of the motives of the Vedics on their religion in a way. It's almost like the religion is just a a topping over this already political backdrop. Yeah, and the religion doesn't add anything to it. So, I felt like Kira in that scene where she's just where stacking she's naked, rocks. standing, just standing there naked. No, no, <laughs> no. The scene where she's like waist deep in the creek, stacking rocks, and she's like, yes. "I've been doing this for three. I don't know what the hell's going on." I'm like, I'm with you, Kira. I don't know what that. Why you're doing this either? Right. Yes. I. I mean, do you think that the? I, I guess that the. The thing I do like about it is that I do like the the prophets as the aliens are the thing that I like about it because it's one of the few situations in the Star Trek universe where the worship of these creatures from the Bajoran perspective actually makes sense and it ties into what their name is because as we learned in Emissary, the whole point of the prophets is that they're an alien species that time doesn't mean anything to them. So they, they literally are prophets. They can see the future mm-hmm. about what's going to mm-hmm. happen. And... I like the fact that the alienness of them ties into the series in a sense that their role as gods makes sense to me in terms of it's not just like it's in TNG. It was always, uh, you know, a tribal people see some weird thing and they think it's a god, even though it's not anything that relates to them at all. Uh-huh. The prophets do tie into Bajor in some way. But, I, my, you know, I uh, sorry, go ahead. No, it was just it all comes back to the fact that the. The Bajoran religion is so ill-defined outside of the fact that it's been the only thing that kept the planet going through the Cardassian occupation. You mm-hmm. don't know, you don't know really what they believe, why they believe it. Like, where does this come from? Beyond, they want to look at the peanut glowing peanut orbs every once in a while to see the future. Yeah, I guess I wish that they had used. Well, okay, I guess I probably my outlook might be 
due in at least a little part to not totally being super familiar with everything. Sure, sure. Because <laughs> when you explained that, I was like, okay, yeah, I, I can get behind that. But I kind of wish they had used different terminology because when you start throwing around words like profit and, and, and it becomes vague. It's like these vague blanket religious terms that you, you know, I just, my eyes glaze over when they yes. start talking about that stuff. Um, but, you know, as a concept, yeah, that sounds fine. I guess I just, I don't know. I just find it the the representation of it boring, and you know, going into the room and staring at the glowy thing and having a weird sex dream. I don't know. It's yeah, just, I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to. I'm, I don't. I'm not throwing a particular. Stop trying to push your religion on me, man. <laughs> I'm not putting up a particularly forceful defense of their religion, but I, I would say that, in my opinion, the episode itself is kind of boring, and that almost drags the the religious yeah. aspect down in some way. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it because I feel like overall this episode, I feel like this episode has like 15 minutes worth of story in it, and they had to stretch it out to an hour. Yes, and all, just, all the stories at the end, in my opinion. Yeah, it just, it just, there's a whole lot of nothing in the middle of this, and I, I haven't watched the third one yet, but I kind of feel like you, you probably could have combined them. I don't know. Yes. And just the, the third episode is the action episode out of all of these. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, we can we can sort of break down the circle. Wasn't wasn't uh, what was that Klingon two part? Was it technically a three parter, but not officially a three parter in TNG? The Klingon one that's really good. Rede- the redemption one with the Civil War. Is yeah. It, okay. Didn't we have a similar feeling about that? Where like the middle episode was kind of like felt like they were just dragging it out to attach the two parts it was a two-part but you're right it was a two-parter but we thought the first part was not very good because it basically was just setting up the second part which was a good episode yeah yeah i feel i feel the reverse here where i like the first one and then the second one i don't, I don't really care oh okay it. you're cover you're taking in homecoming yeah i i'm i'm saying this the circle to me is more the setup for the next episode in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, okay. it's funny because I do feel like a lot of stuff happens in this episode. You'll learn that Jaro oh, is behind yeah. the circle. He call, he says he is the circle, which that was, it was Rang- Langella is a uh, wonderful in that whole scene. Oh man, you need, you need someone to deliver silly dialogue and make you believe it. You call that guy. <laughs> That's right. I mean, he's, his that whole scene covers the whole how far the Bajorans have fallen. You know they're now adopting Cardassian interrogation techniques, to put it mildly. This um, guy played Skeletor in Masters <laughs> of the Universe. He managed to say the names Beast Man, Skeletor, and He Man out loud on film, and have you go, yeah, no, I totally buy that. Yeah, <laughs> he's a very good. The um. You have a Cisco scene where he's talking to the sort of like the main general of the Bajoran defense, which is a good scene, I think. I want to know if his son got laid. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote a note down, great opening Jake Cisco scene. I don't remember now. What that- is that shirt he's wearing? Like you don't get a li- all that you. It's like this weird space crop top thing. I, I don't even. Re- what's only, the scene that they that, that I'm thinking of? How do they, how do they uh, open he the calls, episode? He calls he calls he calls his dad down to I think his quarters. I don't know. He calls his dad down somewhere, and there's a, a circle spray painted on the door. I don't oh, know if it's their right. room or some. I forget whose room it is. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, that's the only time he shows up, and he's only in it for like a half a second. Okay. Yeah. I guess his. his well, we learned in the previous episode his date didn't go well because of. Um, oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. She. She's a Bajoran, and she won't date non-Bajorans, which is like kind of referencing the interracial relationships i guess on on some level it must be um yeah i well i i I wonder if they were going more that it was that shit was getting ratcheted up because of the uh 
the political turmoil. Yes, yes, right I, I 100% agree with that. I think it's just it's kind of a way to layer the um, sort of the real life aspects of it, I guess, on top I of was, it. I was hoping I was hoping he was going to be like, she canceled. And then Cisco would be like, why? What happened? And she's like, well, she got reassigned back to her home planet of Bajor. <laughs> Kira? <laughs> what? 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 The whole thing collapses like a house Also, of cards. before I forget, you're telling me there's no relationship between Kira and Cisco ever? No. Because they are giving each other some fuck me eyes like I've never seen when she's leaving that space station. <laughs> she's a good first officer. Apparently. Cisco, Cisco clearly has a thing for her. Let's uh, keep that in mind, I guess, would be my outlook. No, I'm not saying that that happens, but keep, keep it in mind. My, um, the, the big impression I get from this episode is a couple of takeaways. I really enjoy the scene in Kira's quarters where she's preparing to leave, where they all come in. Um, yeah, that was good. Kind of, it's kind of a sitcom-y setup, but even the early opening of that, where Odo is kind of yelling at her about not not about giving up the fight and everything, I think that whole thing works really well. Mm-hmm. I just like the approach of bringing all the characters in and stuff like that. Everyone does. Uh, I like I like how Kramer came in at the end to have some cereal. <laughs> That's right. Um, and, and you know the Burial Burial That's how you pronounce his name. Burial Vedic Burial. All right, so I'll try to remember that. But um. You know, his his whole thing with Nurse Ratched or uh, Vedic Ratched is kind of <laughs> kind of just pointless at this point. And I think that the to tie it into our homecoming discussion, uh, Lee Nollis no longer has any reason to exist in this story for some reason. It's like he he I I was okay on him in homecoming, and he is like a wet blanket non character in this entire yeah. storyline and it's almost like they don't know what to do with him at this point because the story is done yeah i felt like they really i was really disappointed because they really shifted the focus off of him and anytime they came back and touched on him he was like it was like he didn't get the script that day or something yeah where he was we're like well what should this guy's been calling and he's like oh okay well <laughs> what should we do i'll I, give on it a whirl. screen i guess uh, yeah, he just, I don't know. I mean, I liked him at the, like you were saying, I think at the, I think the last 10 minutes or 15 minutes or so of this episode is is good. It's where they kind of, you know, wrangle everything back in to lead you into the next episode. But yeah, the for the majority, Nollis is just, he may as well not even be there. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, he, the only thing that he, is, he's the reason they managed to get down to the planet, right? They, like, rely on his name or something to get down there to save Kira. And that's, that's yeah. pretty much the extent of his role in this. And it's just a, yeah, I feel like the, the actor wasn't aware of what was going on or something. Like, it, everything feels very low-key, very unimportant. And it's almost like it's almost like you need to add more of him giving problems to the station by being in that mm. role or something. Like, he, he's... He's functional, but he's just not a standout performer in any way. He's he's doing the job. It's just kind of an unmemorable job that he's doing. Do they do they give him any kind of a death wish in the third episode? Uh, I honestly don't remember, but I don't think the character returns after okay. this. Because I was thinking, the way I thought they were going to go is I thought the the in the Kira rescue or something he was going to go out of his way to try and sacrifice yes. himself because he realizes that he's no good. As an officer, he needs to be, you know, he's better off as a symbol. And yes, then they were yes. be like, no, you have to live, blah, 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 blah. No, that, that, would, be the, that would be the way that I'd expect his character yeah. to go, right? So we'll, we'll I guess he's really good at taking orders, though, as though he said. But you know who isn't really good at taking orders? Fucking Bashir. When, 
when Cisco says, <laughs> when you see Kira, put this on her immediately so she can be transported out of there. He just he takes five minutes to untire and gets himself shot in the chest. Yep. Yep, he does. Yeah, he he does not. That's why you never take the. That's why you never take the doctor on away missions. <laughs> He's certainly not the one you give the uh, the communicator to. Take no, I thought to I thought that's what Nautilus was going to do. Yeah, I thought he was going to do that, and he was going to free her, and they were going to have some moment. And he was going to get shot or something. I, like I was anticipating shades of uh, Star Trek Nemesis, where Data gives the transporter badge to Picard at the very end. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, that, that's that's not what happens in it. I will I will say both of these episodes because I know that they do they have to have a lot of stuff they got to do. I feel like both of the rescue attempts in this these episodes went off way too well. Okay, like it see it seemed like the first episode they just waltz into the sh- the camp, start shooting people, and then they run away and they get back to the ship no problem. And in this episode they go down, they find her very quickly. And they'd shoot a bunch of people and they get out of there no problem. Like, I feel like they're usually this thing would take up a little bit more time or there would be another, like, obstacle they had to get through. Yeah. But it seems like. Well, Clay, they, they, just... put, they put Kira on top of the, the rock. Yeah. You know, so it was, they had to climb up to get her. <laughs> yeah. You know, like she's like she's a, a, the cookie jar on top of their yes. fridge. Yeah. No, I, I totally uh-huh. agree. It's a, I, was, I was more surprised in this one that something didn't go wrong for somebody or like they yeah. trade hostages or something at the very end, like here gets away, but someone else is stuck down there. Uh, yeah. And they, it also is a direct contradiction of in the first episode in homecoming, right? The whole problem, uh, O'Brien says we can't rescue them all because we can't beam more than two people up at a time. Mm-hmm. And in this one, they just beam everybody up at the same time because they're a, yeah. it's a different episode. So, um, but yeah, I think that the, you know, the, the whole episode is really just working towards getting you to this end point where we we learned that uh the cardassians are supplying the bajorans sort of unbeknownst to everyone and the circle is kind of ignorant jaro is kind of is ignorant to what's going on he thinks he's doing something uh via another means he thinks another alien species is providing them with arms the cardassians are doing it because they're playing it so that they hope that the federation leaves and the bajorans attacking deep space nine to take it back would accomplish their goal and everything like i i like the I like the plotting in the episode. It's weird that it yeah. doesn't really come together for me because I, I like the layers of what's going on here. I like the fact that Jaro is ignorant to what the Cardassians are doing, I think is a good way to write it. Um, he's not just in the pocket of the Cardassians, you know, which would have been the traditional way to go about it. Um, it's just odd to me that it's, for all the sort of plot that's happening here in the background, it doesn't really doesn't grab you until the very end. Yeah, I f- it feels like it, it looked a lot better on paper. Yeah, yeah. In, in outline form. Um, <clears throat> I've run into that stuff myself when plotting something out. It's like, well, this is what I want to do in this issue of comics that I'm writing. And it's like 14 things. And then you sit down and you write it out and you're like, oh, well, if I want to get to all of these, this is going to be unreadable. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I wish they could have let some stuff breathe a little bit more um, and maybe focus on... Like, I, f- I feel like they could have very easily focused on st- storylines that they set up. I guess I'm just thinking specifically of of, of Nalus. Of focus on storylines that they set up in the first I- episode uh, instead of introducing so many new strands. Yeah. But the new stuff is good because, I mean, I like the, the, the stuff with the Cardassians and uh, sneaking Odo onto the ship. That was fun. Yep, yep. Uh, deputy Quark coming in at the end to give you all the information <laughs> you could possibly need. Why did he need to be a deputy to do that? 
I don't know. Okay. Because I I think I think because it makes him um uh it 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 makes him have to relay it back to the people in charge, I think. Okay, you don't you don't think it's just an Odo uh, an Odo playing like an ego stroking game to Quark? I was not sure why he needed to make him. Uh, oh, I mean, I I think I think it's probably that too, but I think structurally as far as writing goes, it feels like, well, how do, what do we how do we force Quark to relay this information back to the people in charge? Sure. Well, what if he's a what if he is a deputy? So then he has to report, you know, that kind of thing. Has to report up the chain of command, that sort of thing. At least that's what I felt. I mean, who knows? But. I I will say that uh, the Odo and Quark scene where Odo makes Quark a deputy is probably has my favorite joke laugh out loud moment where uh, Odo says, "I'm going to make you a, a deputy," and Quark goes, "Ah ha 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 ha, goodbye." <laughs> just, <laughs> just dressed to walk out the door. It was just—it was really well played as like a, a comedy beat there. I thought it was very good. Yeah, and that scene was a good payoff uh, to the to the scene they had in the first one. Right. In, in the first episode, Odo goes out of his way to say that you are the enemy, uh, and then in this one they're you know working together. So you know it 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 shows the the grayness of their relationship, which is which is fun. And I, you know that's what I am am starting to really like about this show, is. Uh, <clears throat> There are a lot of gray relationships. You know, even the Cardassian relationships aren't black and white. Um, you know, but the Cardassians and the Federation have a different relationship than the Cardassians and the Bajorans. Yes. And it's 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 really interesting. It's good stuff. Yeah, the the uh, that layering is unique, and I think that the we're starting to get a sense of the characters interacting in to each other in a different way than the previous Trek series that we we've seen. Um, yeah. There's a lot more nuance to the relationships between characters. Odo and Quark is a very obvious one, but uh, Kieran Sisko is one that's always in the background. The, the characters just are operating on two or more levels at the same time, as opposed to TNG's one level that everyone is talking to each other always in the same tone of voice, in, in, a, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I think that it works well here. Also, finding, finding the... Uh the circle headquarters is was really was a bit convenient i think i just totally glossed over like yeah what, what that's what quirk tells them isn't it is that what you mean yeah it was just like it's it's on the know, southern oh, peninsula the, in the caves by the by the way i found it yeah. you know <laughs> i just picture the old uh, nes like rpgs quirk just walking around a world map until he stumbles into a a cave or something and finds it out yeah. there yeah yeah I mean, it, it all ends up building towards the very end, where it's revealed that the Bajorans are uh, arming and getting ready to take over Deep Space Nine. Uh, the Cardassians are waiting for that to happen so that they can reconquer Bajor. And uh, we talked about it in the previous episode. Cisco checks in with Starfleet Command, which we haven't really seen a lot because they are sort of out there on the frontier. And Starfleet Command, I thought this was interesting. Let me know what you think about it. The way that this series played the interaction between Cisco and Starfleet was exactly the opposite of the way that it's played in TNG between Picard and Starfleet, mm-hmm. where the Starfleet role in Deep Space Nine is playing the rule abiding. This is the rule. This is what we have to do. And Cisco takes the sort of different tack to it. And the Admiral is not portrayed as corrupt or anything like that. Right. He is just really kind of an unthinking bureaucrat who, well, this is the prime directive. We can't can't interfere. Uh, you know, it's too bad if they get conquered again, but we can't interfere. And Cisco takes the time to massage the rules of evacuation enough to allow there to be basically a skeleton crew that will remain behind on Deep Space Nine when this invasion comes along. 
Yeah, if they had done that on TNG, your immediate response would be, well, that Admiral's working with the Cardassians, yes. clearly. Yeah. But yeah, his uh <clears throat> I really like I really liked the uh like the thinking out loud that he does of of how to excuse Starfleet from not getting involved. Yeah. And I thought that was really refreshing too, because it's you know, so often they play it, it's like these hard and fast decisions that have to be made about rules and whatnot. You never have someone going like, well, technically... There is you know, a workaround. Yeah, yeah, technically we don't have to do this because technically it's a prime directive thing. And, you know, I mean, if your people are in danger, then we really should get out. You know, like that was... He's not being an awful person. He's he's considering all of the variables to the situation. Yes, yeah. And, you know, the decision that he makes is questionable, definitely. And I think uh, Cisco's reaction is a good one where he kind of... He does the same thing but for his own benefit. And I think that that's that was a... That was an interaction that I was done casually enough that I feel like felt really um, authentic. Whereas if they did that in TNG, it would be a lot more winky towards the camera. Right. Yeah. Where it would be like where the Admiral would give Picard his orders and Picard would say, yes, sir. And then they would, uh, uh, you know, he'd he'd close the transmission and then he would give like the, the... you know, the winky orders to, to Riker, and yep. Riker would know, you know, that kind of thing. He would just look right in the camera and say, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and walk out on the yeah I- he would say, well, we can't do that until we, we round up all the kittens, and then Riker would give his eyebrow raise yes. thing, and then, like, yeah. you know, Data would be data would put the coordinates in incorrectly on purpose. Yeah, it's, it sounds like, you know, it, it sounds like in a sense, you're like, not you, but, like, we're almost, like, hating on the TNG storytelling, but it's really just a different... Yeah, story oh, that they're yeah. going on. It's not. It's not the ones. The the TNG one is much more of a. It's almost more of an episodic procedural approach to things where it's oh definitely you rely yeah. on the formula to do things, and this one is taking a little bit of a different tack with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's nothing wrong with the way they did that stuff on TNG. It's just you know it becomes TNG a never, cliche as you say. Yeah, it know. does. It does. Yeah, but in the, in in this show, they're trying to do something different, and they're handling things differently, and they're I mean. Just the whole concept of the show is a uh, different environment than really you've ever really had in Star Trek before. Yeah. You know, you have to th- – these characters have to consider different things. Yep. Yeah. No, it's uh, – and yeah, it's 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 good. I think it's this is a better cliffhanger than the first one. Would you say that? Oh, yeah. yeah. The ending of this one is, is way better than the first one. Yeah. I actually uh, – I wrote that down. But I cannot remember exactly how it ends. It ends with uh, Cisco. He he asks O'Brien if they can leave, and he says no. Like how long it'll take with all the equipment, and then uh, he says a couple days. And Cisco turns to the camera and just says, "Well, it looks like not all of us can leave then." And it cuts to black. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like that. See, even that one there is is not um, on the surface. It's not very flashy, but the stuff they give you leading up to it explains to you why what they're doing has weight to it. Yeah. Whereas in the first episode, it's relying entirely on the fact that, oh, I like Kira. Right. You know? Sure. It, it's it's not – it doesn't quite have the, the same weight as building to this point. And even though the lines he's delivering are kind of, you know, whatever, bland. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say bland, but you know what I mean. Like they're not – A little it's generic. Not, it's not it's Yeah, not, it's, not it's, not a, it's not a, a dolly shot in, into a close-up <laughs> where he yells fire. <laughs> right, yeah. But then again, what is – um, 
but it you know it works because you know what's at stake and you know uh, uh, the subtext of what they're talking about and it's good. I do have to ask though, is that the same guy playing Admiral Chicote as the Chicote on TNG? Uh, it well, re- you're remembering the time that you asked if the admiral in DG were they? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Is it like? Is it the same guy? I don't remember. It's the same because name. I don't know if it's the same actor. I would love it if there was a running gag that every time Admiral <laughs> Chakotay shows up, it's a different guy. <laughs> it's Maybe, like I don't know. Maybe it's just a really common name. Yeah, it's like the Smiths of the uh, the 24th century or something. Yeah, I, I honestly don't remember if it's the same Chakotay. It would be uh, there's. There's got to be someone who just kept pitching that name and was like, you know what? I'm going to make this name stick eventually. And then he ended up on the, the <laughs> show running Voyager, I guess. Is um, Minoski is well, a writer who's well known. He he loves the number 47 um, and he sticks it into basically every script you write. So the 47 is kind of a running gag on Star Trek. But the Chicote thing would be the same. That's not a – is that a – Douglas Adams joke or is it's, it's 47 means something there's some kind of importance to the number 47 I don't know if it's based only on Douglas Adams but I do know that it's a it's some kind of if not mysticism there's something special about it wow all right um but I think we're done talking about this one I'll have circle. to consult with the prophets yes. about the prophecy of 47 did, and did you <laughs> walking up walking up naked behind someone did you did you see me in your prophecy clay last night do you uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the Kira uh, and Burial stuff. I, it's almost not even worth talking about because of how unimportant it is. So I think we'll avoid it. Um, and it's not particularly good. It doesn't come from anywhere. It doesn't amount to anything. It's not Just like Kira avoids talking about her feelings. Yes, yes. She is naked in her own future weird. Which Why wasn't even a good they... dream sequence, I don't think. No, it was weird. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I still, I'm still mad that they couldn't. They didn't give Tasha Yar the treatment they gave to Kira because I feel like Kira is like is this Tasha Yar Mark Mark Two basically, and they like yes. they figured out oh okay I know how, we know how to handle this guy now, this character now yeah 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 that, that that's actually that's pretty true actually so we'll, we'll see how it moves uh, going forward but we're gonna take a so, break so for all you assholes out there who hate Tasha Yar if you like Kira that means you should like Tasha Yar so big boom. hypocrites big capital H put it up on the foreheads we're gonna take a break gonna play an audio clip me and Claire are gonna come back read patron thoughts give our final thoughts and then wrap it up the cult of Tasha Yar is gonna hold you down and brand a, a Y onto your forehead <laughs> chief how long will it take us to evacuate Deep Space Nine? I'd say we could have all of our people out in the way in three hours. I mean a complete evacuation. I intend to take all Starfleet instruments, material, in fact, all Federation property of any kind. How quickly can we do that? Well, sir, that'll take days. Or a week for all I know. But those assault vessels are going to be here in seven hours. I guess some of us won't quite be done by the time they get here. All right, Clay. So, patron thoughts. If you guys support the show on patreon.com slash defensekeepal, you get to leave thoughts about upcoming episodes, and they get read out loud on the podcast. Holly McLaughlin says, The Circle, a transition bridge episode in an arc. Kind of hard to do these really well, but I thought it worked okay for the most part. The obvious spray paint was silly and distracting. A letdown. Yeah, I mean that's our kind of our take on it too. Just a bad transition episode, right? Was it was it necessary? Kind of. It wasn't really um, action packed. I don't think it's titled very well, to be honest with you, because I don't. Th- there's like maybe three minutes about the circle in yeah. this episode. They kidnap uh, Kira. That's about it. 
Yeah. Um, it sh- I feel like Homecoming almost should be the the name of this episode. Okay. Just because it focuses more on Kira going back to Bajor and, you know. Homecoming stack, is just pimp and rocks. O'Brien pimps out Kira, and we'll call it yeah. the, the, one, the one where. Yeah, the circle. Uh, let's see here. We have Joint Mango, the circle, Smoke, and Ben Horn. Kyle Barrett writes, the circle. I love the scene in which Kira is packing before being interrupted by most of the cast one at a time. It's genuinely endearing and funny. Well, it, it is at least before... Burial. I need to keep looking at my form. Burial arrives. I don't mind Burial debating religion or politics. He just does not work as a love interest for Kira. His shifty eyes, blank face, and delivery makes him just come across as creepy. And the guy who keeps a stained mattress on the back of a van for special occasions kind of creepy. Lines like "It'll be our secret" and "Come inside with me" don't help either. Sadly, yeah. this negates this negates anything of interest in the scenes he has with Kira. Overall, I'd say the politics are handled well and the machinations are intriguing. DS9 will become known for its politics, and this episode is a big step towards that. The cliffhanger feels slightly mishandled, however. It would have been better if the discussion with the Admiral was left until the next episode, and this one ends with the revelation that warships are en route. I think I disagree. I like I, I kind of like the way that it's done here. I think you need to see the Admiral, and he needs to tell... You need to be aware that what Cisco's doing is not what Starfleet wants him to do. Yeah, I think, you know, as we said, I think it's a good way to to reestablish what the stakes are uh, moving into the last episode. Because this one does have so much going on in it that they really do need to take the time at the end to reorganize everything uh, so you know what the driving driving force is going into the finale. Right, just kind of clean up everything just so it's, it's obvious what's happening. Also, um, I wish, I wish someone on these shows would play a holy person differently because I feel like they all play him like this burial guy where yeah. he's just like bland a Vulcan. and yeah, yeah, but like a like a boring Vulcan. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, like sure. have you ever seen an interview with the Dalai Lama? That guy's hilarious. Right. Yeah, I, I and I think it ties into the Bajoran religion has no. There's no instruction to the religion as to what they're supposed to be like. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're basically just boring priests. I, I want them to be more like, uh, shit, what's his name? What's Spock's brother's name? Uh, Cybok. Cybok. Yeah. Bring yeah. back Cybok. I want him on this show. He should be Make feeling, him feeling, the, <laughs> feeling the pain of everyone. No, I, I, I agree with that. Stephen Cobb writes, The Circle, what's wrong? You had better come down and see for yourself. Heaven forbid somebody get a heads up on what they're coming to see. I, I <laughs> <laughs> That uh, would be bad TV writing. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just explain it. You don't need to come down. No, but I agree, Stephen. That's a, it is funny the amount of times that they do that on the show. As echoed before, the scene in Kira's quarters saying goodbye was pretty good. A bit stilted, but still good. I'm pretty sure that, that scene. Sorry, I was just gonna say that scene. It feels like a play. It does feel it like feel, a play. You know, it's like it uh, c- curtain opens as Kira's just stacking stuff into her thing, and then people just keep knocking on the door and coming in, and then they all block around each other. And it was know, shot. It, it was shot. Like in, it was shot in one take. Actually, the main take really? was all one take, and they they no cut kidding. it with other things. But the director was apparently very happy that they managed to do a couple minute scene with no breaks in it. Nice. Um, but that I, I think that adds to the playiness where everyone's sort of standing oh, in their, their yeah. blocky nature. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm always kind of impressive though when scenes handle that many characters efficiently. It's it's not easy to write that many characters into a scene. Um, I think I've talked about this before, but you know who does that really well is uh, Law and Order SVU. Oh sure. I, years years ago, I went back and I watched a whole bunch of those in a row, and the thing that really stood out to me was how good the blocking on that show was. Yeah. Because they would manage to like. <clears throat> excuse me in a in one crime scene have like 
five detectives all doing different stuff and then they would all perfectly like step into this beautiful composition like yep. in deep space of uh, <laughs> of of the of the uh, of the set and deliver like their final scene lines but it was it's 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 not easy to do and they they were they were good at it yeah yeah uh, let's see, sorry, uh, as I could before the scene in Kira's quarter saying goodbye was pretty good, stilted but good. I'm pretty sure that Burial is actually a beta version of Microsoft's text-to-speech application. His voice <laughs> lacks any inflection. He does get a bit better in later episodes and seasons. Am I the only one who thinks the female Vedic hoods are just mini versions of the Sydney Opera House? And what is up with yes. the mass... What is good up call. with the massively sexist difference between Burrell's breezy Krishna role and Wynn's hardcore nun get up in architectural uh, wimple? Um, I mean, I, I'm more offended that it's so the the difference between the Vedics is so broad. Really, there's mm. there's not a lot of substance to their difference. Mostly, we don't know what their differences are. Besides the fact that Burial uh, is more progressive and Win is more the conservative role. Uh, here's a question that maybe I probably should know. What the hell do Vedics do? I don't know. They're just kind of. I, I guess it would be what, what do bishops do in the Catholic Church would be my yeah question. I guess I think that kind of goes into the the problem I have with that whole aspect of it where it's like I don't know what they do I don't know what power they really right. hold. are they leading like an area of the country or something like of the planet yeah. yeah do they have any pull with the government I guess in, in this case the government's kind of in shambles but yeah they, I I don't think they're they're not political is my understanding they like the provisional yeah, government seems to be, to be different. Anyway. Oh, sorry. Did you fade out there? Oh, sorry. I just said they're not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be political anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's my understanding um, as well. Matthew Ross writes the circle. Although painting painting in broad strokes of the Star Trek universe, it was refreshing that this was a three part arc as opposed to a forty five minute rush. Uh, uh, again, Kai Ratchet is also at her best. Slippery politician in her scenes. One question which consistently annoys me is when Odo changes to teeny things. A part of my mind screams problems with physics. Uh, the Lasari freighter seems lazy in design, and I could swear it's a TNG ship backwards, but there is precedent for that in Star Trek. Surprise, uh, Langella is the trickster, how, un how usual. He wanted to make Bajor great again and Bajor for Bajorans. All he needed was a mauve or tan hat, because that's the colors from the Sears Block catalog. How is it that Quark can just walk into ops? And then we fall in the uh, tried and true. He's deputized. All that's why. <laughs> take all the important people and Ensign Jones on a rescue mission. Don't get me wrong, I didn't hate it when I first saw it, rewatched it, or even saw it in the B5 equivalent. Essentially, welcome to the Cold War Part 2. The part of the USSR will now be played by the Cardassians. Political maneuvering was interesting as the feds just watched from a distance. That's so, he. that's interesting. I've never thought about, he has an issue with Odo turning into things that don't support the entirety of his mass. Uh, is yes. That, is, that the, yeah. is that the issue? Yeah, like how, yeah. how Odo seems to be able to shrink down to an impossible degree. You know, it's funny you should say that because I was thinking um, when O'Brien puts the thing down and then he kind of, you know, shuffles play -dos, off, play -dos his way out of it yep. and turns into the rat. I was thinking it would have been funnier if, if he had just been the whole case. Yes. So, like, you have O'Brien putting it down and you hear, duh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how does, how does O'Brien pick him up? At all, you know what I yeah. mean? Like he, he should be struggling with that thing. It would, it would make more sense to be a big box so that it, it implies that it's heavy like that. And I think that's what you mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I guess I never really thought. I mean, I don't know. What's where's the fun in that? Yes, <laughs> I can yeah. only they'll, be. They'll, I can only be, be uh, things that equal the mass of a 
five foot seven humanoid. Well, I mean, I'd be I'd be fine with it if if as Maybe a it's mouse, just a really dense rat. Right. If 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 he jumped on someone as the mouse, if he crushed them, I would yeah. I would be like, that's fine, that's okay. <laughs> yes, I, I agree with that. Um, but we'll have plenty of time to discuss Odo's uh, peculiarities between his shape shifting. Have you? Do you do you find that it's uh, odd that he doesn't shape shift as much as you would kind of expect from someone? Uh, I'm glad he doesn't because I think you could use that could be very easily become a riding clutch. Yes, a crutch. They've already used it a couple times to much. sneak him into places. Is like the main use of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do we ever, do we ever meet other people from his race? You do. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Are they like assholes? Because um, I I can only I can only imagine that there's got to be an episode where hard-nosed Odo meets another person from his race that's like his cousin or something. Right. Like, no, I just like to turn into towels and put myself in the ladies' locker room. Yes, like yeah. <laughs> we do We do meet other uh, other Odos. And it's, you haven't uh, lived till you've f- turned yourself into a chair. <laughs> the fanciest chair you can possibly imagine. Yeah, yeah we'll have plenty of time to discuss Odo's uh, shape-shifting because it, it does come up. Uh, a lo- they, they flesh it out a little bit. But anyway, uh, Clay, what are you going to give this one? I'm going to give it... It's kind of a week three. It's just a middling. I don't think there's anything that's particularly wrong with it. It's just kind of boring. So I'm just going to give it a week three out of five. Yeah, I would do the same. I think it. I think it's. I think the good stuff saves it from being a two. So I would say it's a week three. Yeah. Okay. Guys, that's it. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you're enjoying the show. You can click all the social media stuff: Facebook, Twitter, blah blah blah. Uh, like us on YouTube. Like the video on YouTube if you're on YouTube. Blah blah blah. Rate us on iTunes. Patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show and you want to get extra content. And uh, Real Ripe and Real Rotten, you can check out that podcast that we're doing about movies. And that's about it. Um, patrons, oh, the, the high-tier uh, patrons also get a shout-out at the end of the episode. As always, guys, thank you very much for supporting the show. Stephen Cobb, Holly McLaughlin, Jay Stanley, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Magpie Nest Productions, Ben Douglas, Tex Albert, Kyle Barrett, Joint Mango, Vincent Adultman, Tarek Latif, uh, Rune Vendler. Guys... Girls, ladies, gentlemen, thank you very much for supporting the show. It's much appreciated. Clay, thanks for coming on. Thank you. And if uh, if you guys want to keep your eyes open in January, I've got a book coming out. It's the collected edition of the comic Redline that I did with Oni, Oni Press this year. So uh, if you happen to waltz by a comic book store and peek your head in and see that, pick it up. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I'll put a it's link. Got a, to it's got a lot of it's, – it's, it's not for kids, though. So <laughs> just uh, <clears throat> go in knowing that. It's rated M for men. Um, yeah, pick up Clay's book. I think that's pretty much it to wrap it up. You'll be back, Clay, for the siege to finish up um, cool. this storyline. And then I think that's pretty much it. We'll have the Patreon stuff coming out, blah, 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 blah. Uh, any predictions for the siege? Um, no. No. Someone, I, I, no, some, not really. I don't someone know. will get shots, I think, is what's, uh, what's kind of implied by it. Yeah, uh, I would, yeah, I I would like to... Time. I would like to know if anybody has any uh, power ratings on the weapons that these people use, because it seems like the handheld phaser is a lot more deadly than those rifles. Right. Why have because, the rifle? Yeah. Yeah. Bashir takes one, like, right in the chest, <laughs> and he has no issue with it. And then O'Brien in the last episode is hitting people with those, like, the little handheld ones, and they just, like, vaporize, basically. Yeah. I, I, I just heard someone, was, some gun expert was describing, like, 
you know the the limitations of a handgun is that like even like the best handgun marksmen in the world have trouble hitting a target at x amount of yards you know it's not a far mm-hmm. distance it's just the nature of the handgun and right. you know that's the advantage of a rifle is that you can actually hit things and o'brien is just lighting people up on the top of mountains with his with his hand phaser and stuff like that it's funny yeah the, the phaser rifle seems to have no discernible advantage (laughs) i always wonder why they don't just hold the button down and kind of paint like a laser with it yeah like why why not just do that i don't know uh that's about it we'll be back with the siege thank you guys very much for listening see you next time